0: Let's see what's on board today. Hey-dee-ho, and I hope everybody's in a jolly mood while they're listening to this. Hi, this is Tony. Welcome back to Educational Triage, and I am joined with my colleague, Philip
1: Summers. Hey, Philip. Aloha. How are you today? I am well, thank you. Oh, good. Good, good, good. <laughs> That's yeah. what my granddaughter says now. I am well, thank you. they they taught my four-year-old to say that, my four-year-old Miranda. It's cool. It's awesome. I well, am well. Thank it's you. It's proper, though. Oh, it's, she's very proper, yes. mm-hmm. Does she have tea? Uh, I No, she's not having tea. She oh. speaks very, very eloquently, however. Well, bully for her. Yeah, it's cute.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> so this week, we're talking about curriculum.
1: One of my favorite subjects, honestly.
0: And, well, it's actually something that I've done a lot, even prior to getting my degree. Um, mm. I did a lot of development and program development and stuff like that around curriculum. I kind I knew of, that. I, knew I
1: that.
0: have, I have some experience, so, but um, doesn't mean that I don't have more to learn, right?
1: Mm, never, never enough to learn.
0: There's always something. And right now. Yeah. I know that this is posting two weeks after the fact, but the Aurora Institute is going on and I'm learning so much and it's reinforcing a lot and it's giving me a lot to really contemplate, um, in the discussions that are going on there. So, but, and, the uh, and I heard that the national conference for the NAEA was fantastic and people were just thrilled. So, um, Anyway, so let's get into curriculum. And I guess one of the first questions I have is, how do you determine a curriculum for your population?
1: Well, there are certain commons. There's always that English. Yep. Always English, always English, always English.
0: Well, you always, well, yeah, well, you already know your subjects because you're going to have to have yeah. math, social studies, social sciences, yeah. English. Um, what else is there?
1: Oh, gosh, geez. <laughs> no. uh, yeah. Um, P.E. Yep. We want to get P.E. in there. Um, let's see. Uh, some fine arts and stuff. You have to
0: write in health.
1: Yeah. Health, science. We want some science. Uh, we want biology. Mm. We want some biology yeah. and we would like some physical sciences for mm-hmm. sure. Maybe uh, some
0: geolo- ge- ge- geology,
1: geology, perhaps. Yeah. Things like that. Physics is always a tough one to pull off because it's kind of like advanced stuff. It comes with a sort of aura about it. Um, it's there's some what of a, um, a way to get around that, though, if you get into it, like with maker labs and robotics and well, you things can, such as that, and you and can do some components. Effect. You can do yeah. some
0: components of physics, true, but let's true. not let's not conflate physical science with physics.
1: True, that's what I was saying. Yeah, you're going to have to kind of play around, and then, and like say with physics because um, high schools are really good at offering that. The regular conventional mm-hmm. high school arenas offer those sorts of uh, courses. Right. And that's a good thing. Whereas I've always noticed that the alternative settings kind of fall short on those advanced mathematics, those advanced uh, courses such as physics. But um, I would love to know uh, of alternative programs out there are doing advanced science or advanced mathematics. I'm sure they're out there.
0: Oh, well, I'm sure they are. But oh, I think I think that the reason for that may be by and large that when you first have students entering into your hallowed halls of alternative Mm -hmm. ed, you're determining just how much remediation you need to go through in order to bring them up. For sure, yeah. Because students are generally not learning in the mainstream classroom, and they, somebody dropped the ball maybe five, ten years ago, Mm -hmm. and Or because of whatever circumstances that they weren't able to um, understand how to read and to to keep going. Maybe it had something to do with trauma. Maybe it has something to do with math. Um, Maybe they never had the time or the place where they could actually develop those skills.
1: Mm, Absolutely. Or they Um, just, they fell back in them. Or they had an undiscovered sort of uh, development issue and or a disability
0: that
1: all of a sudden we have to kind of catch up to. That's why I said English, English, and English, because I always found that um, regardless of the subject, if it had anything to do with reading or writing, it was sort of English, English. And I used it a lot, social sciences, especially, you know, it's like, hey, we can use Mm -hmm. that writing assignment. And I always kind of hit him on the other side. It's a constant, constant struggle, but uh, it's, it's a constant stunts, constant pro, uh, process as well for all of us and right. you know, the kids used to it. So they all got better through it. Well, a know. lot
0: of it may have something to do with relevance.
1: Yeah, yeah, relevance. Absolutely.
0: And so I'm going to bring something up, which is something that I attempted when I first moved into the one-room schoolhouse which was working on project-based learning and that way the students would have to figure out what skills they needed in order to solve a problem but we didn't give them a problem at first i was pretty my my skills were very nascent on that at that time but as they grew i realized hold on because if a student needs to use, what are some problems where students will need to use math? They'll have to figure out some history. They're going to have to do reading, of course, and they're going to have to be able to obtain some information and and mm-hmm. glean that and plop that down.
1: Yeah, specific kind of reading, too, at the high school level.
0: Mm-hmm. And, wow. or, you know, there, there are some Younger books or some mm-hmm. Hill books, high interest, low level, yeah. that they might be able to pull stuff out of. And that way they might be able to increase their reading because if the interest is there, then they can pull that. I want you to think uh, about the movie October Sky where the kids, yeah. they weren't doing so well in math. And all of a sudden they were doing rocket science. <laughs> yeah. because And it had all to do with relevance and the fact that they just loved doing it. And it was hands on all of this was happening and that was all their own doing and it really paid off for them. So if we, okay, so let's say that I tell you come up with a renewable resource for energy that can be sustainable long-term. So we know that wind. let's say we know that wind power lasts for a while but if there's no wind, then there's nothing there. So how do you, where do you get the bank? So how do you get something that might be more long-term? Can you do something that maybe looks at how a leaf, let's say, can a leaf generate power with its chloroplast? Can you do something with that where because of the sugars that are in there and that's all natural, would that be a sustainable way of creating some kind of power? And you Enter could do Enter potato that in
1: stage left, yeah.
0: You know, I mean, you know, could you do something that feeds on itself? So let's say that you're generating power through some kind of a chlorophyll, chloroplast um, kind of membrane or something like that. And what would that take and how would that work if you started off by having lights in your house and then that would generate that? And so it could be just regenerative by its own doing. Is that yep. making sense?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I did that same thing. I had that, that unit I I did climbing Everest. And mm-hmm. um, so I had them step into the role of a climber. And so they kind of calculated how much oxygen they were going to get as they climbed up the, the mountain and that, how that related to carrying oxygen through the blood system on the red blood cells and how they were going to perform. And, and they were actually like t- – uh, Calculating flow rates through the oxygen bottles, mm-hmm. and how how long they could travel on one oxygen bottle, and how much they would, or how when they would start running into trouble on summit day, mm-hmm. they, they were wow. kind of going, "Oh, we're in trouble. I'm only, I got like only three liters left." And it's oh, like, wow. "Yeah, how long you got to go? I, go? I got six hours." It's like you're in trouble. Did and you also they, did they you did, did you also incorporate food? Yeah, their food, well, they didn't eat very much. And that was kind of incalculable, because at that altitude, you just don't want to eat. So we were assuming you were eating, but you just weren't kind of eating. But the, the, they could actually measure the O2 level, the oxygen levels on the climb, and they were running into problems. They were, running, some of them were running so low on oxygen, they were getting nervous, They said that because they had to go away for the night kind of thing. It was one of those things where they had to go away and they came back to the school and they said, I was getting nervous. I was I thought I was gonna die. (laughs) (laughs) They were getting like it was real. And okay, you didn't die. They were said was I barely made it back to camp on my tank. And it's like, Well, you made it, but some kids didn't. And I said, Well, we'll assume you were strong climbers and you just made that last hour without oxygen. But yeah, they knew it. They knew they were in trouble. (laughs) It was wow funny. yeah because they'd climbed so long there was weeks in, in the making so they they knew how much they could carry on that day and, mm-hmm. and some of them made decisions to carry an extra bottle and they didn't have a problem
0: but you could also i mean you could go with the food what kind of clothing did they have to have yeah and then and and how are they going to pack all that now i'm thinking about yeah. i'm thinking about the um john Krakauer.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Where people are carrying up radio equipment and all this other We
1: studied that. We talked about the absurdity of espresso machines at 26,000 feet, which is what <laughs> happened on that. Yeah. as one well, Sandy Hill Pittman. Right?
0: But if you think about it, those are sort of unrealistic expectations that yeah. people have. They're not really ground in, in actual science or reality.
1: Mm-hmm. We it's talked some, about that.
0: Yeah. So I think... <laughs> But, you know, if the kids have to do these things and they have to figure these things out and write up a report on that and they're in charge of it, it goes back to Peter Gray from Boston, who talks about kids leading their own sort of their own journey and doing and pacing it at their own level. They did
1: extra stuff, too, because they had assumed the role of a climber. They did little side issues. And some of them got into it you know, Mm -hmm. and researched the other peaks and wanted to to do other uh expeditions virtually you know right things like that just kind of a little exploration so it's really quite cool so
0: you could get into some of the physics with that some of the mm-hmm. physical science and you could also yeah. well i just what's the caloric output though because oh. if you're not ingesting enough calories that's going to have a huge impact on yeah. you as well and if you so have down. too much yeah. And if you have too much, then that's also going to impact how you're breathing and everything else.
1: Well, we're talking biologically at that altitude, you're literally dying. You're going to die after right. about thirty-six to forty-eight hours, and just I, your body to consumes itself. So it's a weird thing, and it's right. fascinating too because it's that ooh kind of mysterious science of it is known as the death zone. So there is that spicy sort of, well, this is serious news, you know, mm-hmm. and it is. And and so it's a very intriguing sort of danger filled venture without, you know, taking the kids into a danger filled venture.
0: But what does it also do to bone density?
1: I don't know. That's a because, good question. Space and and the reason why I, things to it,
0: because that would be another thing that maybe I might come up with for the kids to mm-hmm. figure out, you know, there are all these different variables yeah. in there because they already know that um, going into space Affects yeah. your bone density. De- bone density.
1: It does, yeah. Going into space is another one I used to teach for science because that's a fascinating experience, mm-hmm. and, and humans have done that, and they don't know anything about that, <laughs> really, hardly anything. It's what a world to open up to them!
0: Yeah, and I, you know, and you could also like even even the COVID, yeah, the pandemic. They could look at viruses they could learn yeah. so much about viruses and lab generated viruses. And now we have Boston. No, is it MIT? Mm. Or was it Boston college or Boston? U who came up with this 80% mortality rate variation of the COVID virus.
1: I have not heard that. Oh dear. So, yeah. So <laughs> um, yeah, Kids like capable. things that are like kind of, They like things that are dangerous, intriguing, you know, they're on the edge. And there are those things in the world. There are definitely those things in the world. Um, And, you know, like I said, climbing Mount Everest, going to the bottom of the sea, you know, climbing, uh, climbing El Cap without ropes in four hours. You know, there are those people that do that and do those things. Um, Yeah, but not all exciting world. Well, yeah, you want to, yeah, you don't want to get the ones that do crazy stuff, but are <laughs> doing control things like uh, Felix Baumgartner, who uh, kind of came out of 120,000 feet from space. I think he just leapt out of the balloon. And I think someone's taught yeah. that too. And he was wearing a space suit and the whole line. The Red line. Bull. The Red yeah, Bull. the Red Bull. Felix Baumgartner and Red Bull.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. And that's a fascinating story, the whole thing, how he did that. And he I
0: think in, the guy, and did the guy in the weather balloon, did he
1: survive? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Felix did. And, and the guy on the ground, his his, um, the guy, the flight director was the guy who who did it like in 1960 named Bill Kitteridge. So the guy that was calling okay. him down, the old guy, was the guy who did it like before him. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of a good story. But yeah, and the kids kind of get into that. And then they see him go into the spin and pull out of it and they talked to him about what you're doing it's spinning at like the speed of sound can you imagine 700 miles an hour going into a spin ouch cuz that's cuz at that at that uh, place in the atmosphere there's no air to stop you so you're spinning at the speed of sound See, 700 these are- miles an hour <laughs>
0: See, but see, talking about these things and telling the kids, maybe putting them on teams and having them figure out and formulating experiments.
1: Exactly. Like, what would that do? What is that actually doing to a body? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What was that guy going through and how did he stop it? Exactly. That would be fascinating to really explore that. Yeah.
0: So if we find something that the kids are really interested in, and maybe we can teach them about something, we can throw that at them. I remember when I taught... um, I mentioned this in an earlier episode when I first got there, one of the first things I did was I started teaching grammar, which Ah. to me is not that fascinating. But um, when I taught in South America, I had to teach seventh grade grammar. So what we Mm -hmm. did down there, what we did was I had I think it was nine different languages represented in my seventh grade class. And so I would give them phrases. I would give the team leaders phrases and the team leaders all spoke a different language. And then mm-hmm. they would have to teach that phrase to their members, to their teammates. And then they would write it out and they would look at it and then they would compare it to, let's say I said, I waved goodbye to my mother as I went to school. Okay. Then, then they would. Teach their teammates that in whether it was Korean, whether or not it was Japanese, maybe it was Portuguese, Mm -hmm. could have been Hebrew, um, it may have been Russian, whatever it was. And then what they did was they had to break down the components as far as if you translate that exactly how you wrote the sentence out, what would it be? And they look, and it's like, how do you know that you put these pieces of of
1: of the language where they're supposed to be?
0: Right. And so they had, so it became a puzzle for them.
1: It became a puzzle of context and, and yeah, and culture, really, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, that makes sense to me. When I was taught grammar, it was just like, "This is called that," and it looked like a bracket, and I didn't really understand the context because it was just English, there right. Was- Right. There was no slang. There was no culture. There was no context. And And later on. Yeah.
0: And later on, I did the same thing when I was teaching Latin. Ah, Oh, and and also when I taught French and Spanish. Yeah. So um, but the kids, for some reason or other, the kids really got off on Latin. They thought that was wonderful. And it was because because for our audience, these kids were all in residential. So it gave them a language that they could speak and they could use behind the treatment team's backs. And so I was, I had these people come over to me telling me that I needed to cease and desist teaching them Latin because none of the staff knew Latin and the kids were learning it too well and they were too, and they were starting to communicate, which, which made my heart really leap for joy
1: <laughs> right yes that almost is awesome it's like yeah i kind of like that that, because, that happened in hawaiian immersion language too yeah that was mm-hmm. awesome the kids started speaking because it was a way to exercise the culture mm-hmm. it was a point of pride yeah kids enjoyed speaking Hawaiian. hawaiian kids were yeah it was something. but although they, they couldn't take Hawaiian language immersion into the sciences because the sciences were in Greek and Latin. It was you can't translate Hawaiian oh, yeah. into Greek and Latin because <laughs> Greek and Latin is translated in English. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny that way.
0: Well, actually up in I'm gonna say it's around Colville, Washington.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm gonna say that there's a there's an there's an Native American reservation up there. And the school district there, um, the guy's a fascinating guy. Yeah. They, what they did was they got the elders of the tribe together and they made that a bilingual immersion school. Wow. Grades yeah. K, pre-K through 12. Hmm. And so they, they were able to work with them and they were able to get everything um, all the subjects all the subjects, including math. So they were able to do things. And so, because this also helped the tribe because they were afraid that they were going to lose their language. Exactly. And, and now, and it doesn't matter who you are in the school, you will learn that language. Yeah. So they have white kids, they have brown kids, they have the native kids all learning that language and all doing that. So it actually does a lot of real good stuff because it makes the brain, learning a second language does so much development for the brain, for a, for a, for a child and even for an adult. And yeah. so um, telling a kid that they can't speak their native language is is not okay because they need that, but they also should be able to begin learning English so that they can do that because that opens far more opportunities for them in order to get that done. So, but that is something else. So you can do things right. depending on, you know, what the culture is around you. And the other thing I did was I took that um oh, what was it called? Something it was grammar, it was a big yellow book, and you got all these sentences and there were things that were wrong with the sentences. And mm. so I gave them maybe it's like a phrase a day or something, I can't remember but I gave each team 10 sentences and then they had to correct them. And then they had to teach them to everybody else.
1: And people with, were still with and, corrections. Yeah. I had what, to show what them the correction was and why it was corrected. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. And it, which was fascinating because people were calling each other out on things right and left. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I was really amazed and the kids loved it because it was so much fun. It was so different,
1: but they like doing it. They like playing with the words.
0: But the one thing I did discover was I did do some project-based learning and I thought, okay, so three years down the line, I have a whole new group of kids and I'm going to try to repeat this experiment. It did not work. It fell flat on its face. And the reason why is because you have to read the room you have to read the room so maybe this worked with that group of kids but what's going to work with this group so let's say so how that's very true yeah and if they have some kind of um investment in it where they get to help make the decision so okay so let's learn about
1: let's let's a great point because it got me thinking about that i have drawers of stuff and it some of it's a big file, some of it's a littler file, but I have a lot of stuff. And I, I don't have that file. I pull out every April. Mm-hmm. That goes for four weeks till May. That I pull out every year. I never had that. I had things that came and went, and, and like you said, you know, it's it is this year that thing didn't work, and so I tried something different, or the kids and I came up with something new. And I started a new folder and then, you know, like it just things evolved and folders got bigger and some folders just mm-hmm. stayed small. But, yeah, it wasn't a go to folder every year. Yeah.
0: So the big question, too, is how do you how do you evaluate the students work?
1: Yeah, that's a good question.
0: And so that and this is kind of like one of those weird things, especially here in Oregon, which is assessment. And mm-hmm. whether and putting it into a rubric and doing oh, all of that and going for instead of mastery, um, you can do proficient or you I like can proficiency.
1: Do, well, better.
0: proficient to me means you can do it. I mm-hmm. would rather have a dog. I would rather have a doctor who's not proficient, but is way beyond proficiency and is mm-hmm. above that. So um
1: I, well, I mean, I'm, I'm looking for, if I'm looking for the C, I'm looking for right. proficiency. Yeah, like, right. yeah, yeah. Right. Mastery is right. an A. Yeah,
0: okay. Right. And then nothing below that because. Yes. That never never below a below C. C. You're still exactly. developing. You're still yeah. developing.
1: And so how and do let's you. Let's make that clear too. At least in, in my grades, it's never below a C. A D is just not acceptable. Well, no. No, it just isn't no. because it's just a, it's just a way of kind of. Not giving me an effort. It's like no, 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 no. You, you can give me a say, and that's
0: why I don't think it's fair to have kids be in grades. I think that they need to. There needs to be a litany of the different proficiencies or competencies that they need to do for each level, let's say, and as they go through them, sure, some kids may blow through a lot of those. But that also means that you should be able to give them something a little bit more challenging as you go. And maybe they're just not being challenged enough. So you have to, you know, figure that part out. And that's where uh, you talk uh, to your team uh, and you figure and you start borrowing, you start doing workshops, you start reading, you start trying to get that imagination in your own head going, because that's the thing that's going to get them going is that imagination. And if they don't feel challenged enough, and I also think a lot of the work needs to happen at school because that way, and don't give them homework. Yeah. Because, because in the early years, if you give them homework and the you have those parents who are going to want to do the work for the kids, you don't want the parents doing the work for the kids. You want the kids mm-hmm. doing the work.
1: Um, I want to work with them too. It's This isn't, Yeah, yeah, I don't want that habit of pulling the wool over my eyes. I want to be working with you. To see how we work together, how you do Mm -hmm. things. I want to aid you in your learning process. Right. We're not checking boxes. We're learning. Right.
0: So now one thing that I ran into was I was told that if students were working on a project that you could only grade them on one element. So let's say that they were doing some kind of a research project on, let's say they're doing something on China are you going to be giving them their English credit? Are you going to be giving them a history credit, world history credit? Are you going to be, ge- you have to pick one. You can't cross contaminate, not cross pollinate. Oh, cross pollinate. Yeah. And, and yeah. I thought, hold on a second, cause you need all those skills. Yeah. So why can't you have credits for all of those? And their worry was more seat time yeah. than anything else. Oh, yeah. And, and, I say, the heck with all that. Let's get the kids the credit for what they did. And that's why we used to do the open houses. So that, um, I, did you do open houses with them?
1: No, I wasn't able to.
0: Okay. Um, the open house, ha- why? I'm not enough time. Oh, see, I, the reason why we did open houses, I had the kids, they, I kind of guided them but they set those whole they set those up and designed them themselves and figured out what was going to be there they i had final approval but they it all came from them and so for our audience an open house was where we would reach out to the community and to the other schools and have other people in our network who would come in and the students would show off the work that they'd done um A group of students might show off the works from their peers and so everybody got to see that we got to do that four times a year and it didn't it wasn't just those students and their work but it was something that they were just jazzed about they were so excited to do that and to have people actually come in and celebrate with them and we had punch and we had cake and um, cookies and I even had people from the University come in and they looked at me and they said, would you like us to write some grants so that you can have X, Y, and Z here? And I said, I would love that. And they did. So it's, it's one of those things because we're always looking for something that's going to help us and be beneficial to the students because we don't necessarily have all that much money. So if we can partner with universities or colleges or other businesses who might have some ideas, let's do it. And so Um, You also get some really good feedback from the community on the curriculum. Um, And it's a great way for the students to talk about what it is that they know. And how much they know. And it's a positive thing. It's not there for parents to say, no, you're wrong. It's Mm -hmm. a place for the kids to tell you what they know. And you can evaluate off of that. Right. So, but... um, Yeah. And so that actually helped a great deal. There were times that I thought, oh my gosh, this thing is just crashing. I just don't feel good about their open house. And then people would, the superintendent would come up and say, this is the best one you've ever done. (laughs) Really? And I think maybe my stress levels were just really high. But something, I think that one thing that we always have to look at, though, is how do we get the students interested in what it is that we're going to do?
1: What's how do you get them to buy in? Well, that's you know the process there. If you if the, it's something that we have to do, um, then you want to meet you want to meet them. You know you want to make them kind of come to you too. You know, don't say we're going to have to do this. The only time I've ever said that we we're going to have to do this is some sort of prescribed testing. And how I get yeah. them to do that is saying, I will give you credit for it. I always gave kids credit for things that they were asked to do at school. I never asked a kid to do anything that I did not give them credit for. So that was the way I enticed them. So if they mm-hmm. had to go through testing, five points in, in English. And, um, you know, I, I can make it up other places, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I always gave them points because it was English and you gave it. Give it your best shot, really. Give it your best shot. And i'll give you points and if you pass it i'll give you more points (laughs) especially if it's a you know if it's a state test you pass it definitely mm -hmm. give you more points for sure yeah
0: well Um, i also uh, yeah no that's great and then the other things that we did was we had the book groups yeah we um students picked their own books absolutely and then they would sit around and we had people who came in we've had the superintendent we've had Mm -hmm. um other teachers we had directors uh, people from the community who came in, and the kids get to pick the books that they discuss.
1: As many choices as they as they can get, as much autonomy and as control as over right. their environment as possible. Yeah, and they have to have enough time to have read it. Um, when and it came that- to like a uh, research paper, um, I had to clear the the topic, but I was generally pretty generous. They couldn't do, for for example, the legalization of marijuana back in the day before it was legalized, because it's always pro. And I was like, no, you can't do that. (laughs) And there was. uh, I let them be pro. I I didn't want to because it was the same kind of thing. And abortion, because it was always, you know, you know, either you were against it or for it. And it was always kind of the same thing. And I didn't want to have that one going. I said, so let's. And I kind of steered them toward more. Not, I wanted them to research it and change their yeah. mind, perhaps even temper it or strengthen it. But I didn't want them coming and going. I'm going to argue this point, you know, and I'm going to stand on this hill on this paper, you know. I didn't want you to do that. I wanted you to think a little bit through it. So right. I gave them other subjects, and so in that regard, they had a lot of um, leeway that way. And when it came to history, um, I kind of let them pick and choose. You know, I had them cover it, but if they really wanted to go more earlier than later i, I kind of let them do that generally they wanted to go more modern which was good <laughs> right yeah, Things like that
0: no i just remember this one student we were having troubles with them um and this was in a high school completion class <laughs> and, and the student was fighting the whole time but what they did was instead of doing the actual work that they were supposed to be doing they were taking copious notes and doing all this research and they had bought they were starting to build binders and so the instructor um came up to me and he said i'm a i'm, I'm losing that my hair and i said yeah i i can tell you're getting a little thinner um and he said yeah he said i don't know what to do with this kid hmm. and i said what's she doing and he told me and i said hold on a second, what credits are we looking at? And so we looked at it. And I said, you know what, they've got the credit, because they've been doing all the research, if they can compile that, and if they can discuss it with you, they are done, take a look at all the stuff that they've done. And now you have and have her write a research paper, based on what she already knows. (laughs) And within three days, the girl was done. Yeah. And, it, and he was saying, you know, she's not going to graduate on time. But we got her through. She was a little upset because she really loved being at school. And, and just she was in her element with him.
1: Yeah, uh, that's another one. Sometimes they, when they get close to graduating, they sabotage themselves because mm-hmm. they don't want to graduate. <laughs> right. But
0: I had another student who came up yeah. to me and he said... Um, I want to talk about society and Marxism. And I said, well, what do you want? And he said, well, um, I really feel like I need to read the Communist Manifesto. I said, okay, and what are you countering that with? What are you comparing it to? And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, why don't we take a look at some of Plato's Republic? And you take Plato's Republic, and you look at what are the bases of of a society. And then maybe you can also take a look at the allegory of the cave, and we can discuss those. And then you take Marx, and you read through that. And when you're finished with that, you can kind of compare the two. And he came up to me, and he said, what have I done? He said, you are just breaking my brain. Uh and I said, well, I think you're intelligent enough to do it. And it took him a while and he stalled on some of it. But then all of a sudden he looked at me and he said, it's starting to make sense now. And he came up with an incredible paper.
1: He really did, huh? Yeah. Wow. That's a lot of, that's a lot of material to compare and contrast.
0: Well, basically he was going to go with the bases. Like every society should have, you need food, clothing, and shelter. Yeah, Those are the three basic needs. And then how does Marxism take care of that for everybody? And does it work well for everybody? And he looked at me and he said, well, that's a hard one. And I said, well, you might also take a look at at democracy. And see how that works or capitalism. And he said, okay. And so he never got around to the capitalism, but. Yeah, it, it was a good one. And he came back about four years later and said, oh,
1: I love that project. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could see why he would. If, if only more people would undertake that project, not just watch something on TV and go, and now I know. Right. Yeah. Right. Those, well, those words are being bandied about in the wrong definitions. So, well, yeah.
0: I think I think what we're running into problems with reading and writing is everything has come down to a text or a tweet.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it, and I think that uh, uh, just a very surface is. knowledge is being passed off as as um, somewhat of being an expert, you know, a little bit of expertise, and it's not. I mean, it, it does take time to develop an expertise in something. It does. it does. Just take a little bit of humility to go. I don't know. <laughs> well, but you
0: know, how many homes have parents who are reading, not their phone, but actual books?
1: Uh, one, two. Well, I got. Uh, don't,
0: I don't think we have a lot of parents who do that anymore. Everybody is addicted to their
1: phone. Um. I must. I must raise a freak family, I guess. Of the oh, well, three kids, four kids that I got, and they well, three of them have kids. Three of them, uh, yeah, almost both spouses read mm-hmm. books or something, and they encourage reading books to their kids. So all, all five of my granddaughters read like crazy people books and or pads. So well, I think it's Weird, becoming, but yeah,
0: it's becoming more niche, yeah. and and the kids that do actually read books. Mm on a regular basis, those are the kids who tend not to be quite so anxious. True. I
1: think, yeah, I, I because, well, they're not,
0: they're, they're not so glued to their phones. I mean, if you read Gene Twangy, Yeah. And, and the book iGen, I mean, yeah. and you see all these other things. I can't remember, um, the, the names of the videos that were on Netflix and on YouTube, but about social media it's pretty amazing what they do and and what they do to your endocrine levels and you know yeah. everything else in the dopamine but that would be actually that would actually be a really good project for kids to look at what is the impact of social media
1: <laughs>
0: on you and your peers
1: realistically
0: yeah. I mean, what, you know. is it a good impact or is it a negative impact? And how do you make it into a positive or does it need to be sort of roped in to, I don't know, maybe you only get like a half an hour a day.
1: Well, it has to be some kind of awareness there. Uh, yeah, definitely. Like, what is social media anyway? I don't know. It's little things kind of weird anyway. I'm not entirely sure that like, Older people are having a harder time than younger people because they kind of really like it. There's sort of like, you know, you see them well, an interviewed and they're like, hey, I really like this. And you see younger people going, yeah, I like this, but I like that one kind of too. And it's like, I kind of see them going all over. Like, older <laughs> folks are going, but I really like this media. And I'm like, oh my goodness. You know, they really well, like a certain type of, you know, like a certain brand of TV or a certain like Twitter or like, true social or something like that. Like, There's a real there's a real devotion to a certain brand of media that I don't think young people have. Well, I think, I, think think it, it I think it fills a void. It does fill a void. Oh, wow. Kids
0: aren't out playing in the streets like they used to. I remember when we moved into this one house, everybody came out and they were all like, can you come out and play? Da, da, da. And we used to play all the time. We were never indoors until dinner time yeah yeah unless it was pouring rain or snow or something like that but um we were always out there playing and when we moved to this one town uh the first night we were there the kids all came out and they said come out and play and so we did because we had the biggest yard
1: yeah oh yeah you were that kid okay yeah yeah well biggest yard it was a huge yard yeah Um, you you were that kid
0: and then they used to bring over their snowmobiles to ride around in it. And then it's a big yard. <laughs> it was a big, well, like an acre we had, or that? it was about, I'm going to say, may, I think maybe it was about an acre and we had okay. another, gar- we had another garage at the other end of it. And, oh, and the funny thing is, is that I told my parents, I said, why don't you just sell that? I was only in, I was like seventh grade by the time we moved. But I said, why don't you sell that part? Can you sell that part separately from this part and make more money? And they said, no, no, no. Well, guess what happened as soon as oh, I it? Yeah. The, the people sell did that Three times. Yeah. The people did that. Yeah. So, um, but no, it's, we just spent so much time outside or just involved with people yeah. that, because we walked home from school Sure, we lived in a small town, and but I also, li- I also walked about a mile and a half, two, three miles home or rode my bicycle and um, in other towns. So, and, and they don't have as many kidnappings as they used to. In fact, students are safer walking home from school today than they were back when you and I were kids. What's happening? <laughs> you would never know it. You would never know it. Where do ADD
1: need- kids go these days? I mean, they can't sit still long enough to game. Well. <laughs> Where are well, they going? They supporters? need more recess.
0: They need far more recess. Okay. They need a lot more debt. They need time to actually work that stuff
1: out because that's part of their processing. Tell so- me about it. I was that kid. I couldn't sit still. I'd be going, come on, you guys go outside. I don't want to play a game." Let's go. So
0: think about this. If there, if you have ADHD kids, mm-hmm. what kinds of stuff can you do that would allow for them to be more kinesthetic? I'm a bike, <laughs>
1: basketball hoop. whatever sports. it is that they're learning, there are sports actually, tons of sports.
0: Yeah, kids but are you actually might
1: actually doing that sort of that specializing thing, which isn't so great. But
0: but not every kid wants to be in sports. That's you know true. what I mean. And they may they may be hyperactive. Um, I think that the phones and the computers and all this other stuff tends to do that because it has this funky effect on the brain. It might, I'm not sure. You know, how do you how do you get kids to be more interactive? How do you get them to do things? And maybe they can come up with some ideas. Um,
1: I do are, think that the kids are more active. Then they're more involved. They're more involved. They're more involved with each other. I think if kids are more like zapped into their TV screens or their computer screens. They're not going to be involved with anybody much else besides what they're interacting with in the screen yeah. itself. I've seen that so much, even when they're sitting next to each other, it's kind of like the screen.
0: Yeah. Maybe that's a, maybe that's something else that we need to investigate. Yeah. Um, a lot I... of
1: screens kind of get the focus and then they become like the two dimensional flat world of attention. And then no one really interacts with the three dimensional world of out here
0: Right, right. I think what I would do is I would redirect them from the screens and not let them use computers, have them use Mm -hmm. as many books, except everything has become so digitized.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you need to use it, like use it for a video for research or something, make it as tactile as possible. Oh yeah. Bring it out here to the world or take yourself someplace out of the classroom. That's the best thing too. just get out of those classrooms and go Mm -hmm. do something.
0: Yeah. And, and get rid of the phones. Make Get yes. the phones out of their hands. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're yeah. in
1: public. Not yeah,
0: because when we talked about interviews and whether or not they were appropriate for the program or whatever, and maybe you can identify them for some other program. Um, yeah. You might even make telephones. You might make their cell phones something that go away and that they only have so much time during the day that they can actually access it if the parents need to call the parents can call the office or they can you know something else i did have one parent who the kid would sit there and text his mom that i was being mean to him because (laughs) i would tell him that he needed to get to work and he said i don't have my books and i said well where are they at home and so i would give him his books and then he wouldn't want to do it and all of a sudden his mother would be standing in my doorway (laughs) And it's like, what are you doing here? She said, "Why are you being mean to my child?" What? <laughs> I'm not. I want your kid to get the work done. My son left his stuff at home. Well, could you go get it? I don't have time for that. Well, how did you have time to come here? I thought you were working. Holy cow. <laughs> it was it was really screwed up. So, um that is really screwed up. I don't I don't want to go any further than that.
1: What are you doing um, here? <laughs> <laughs>
0: leave <laughs> now We would be there on a moment's notice i have no idea how she got any work done but um <laughs>
1: talking about helicopter parent
0: <laughs> yeah she was just like right outside the door oh it was amazing oh, my wow. son can do no wrong and i'm thinking yeah. okay and then you have just the opposite where the parents are like Oh, please, just keep them in school all day.
1: Give them all rest. Do they have to come home tonight? Yes. Gosh, they, be nice. My child
0: won't go yes. to school. I had to call the cops to get them to take her to
1: school. Yes, I've seen, I've had those parents too. It's like your son and our daughter are wonderful people. What is wrong with you? It's like, gosh. It's, yeah, it's something. It's uh, weird. But anyway, <laughs> but I think that
0: if you, if they have an investment in everything and curriculum is a really hard one to, to figure out, mm-hmm. but you can't just have a one size fits all. And so you're going to have to have something that is personalized. You're going to have to have an individualized learning plan for each student to figure out what it is that they're going to want to do, yeah, I think so too. um, And maybe you can do that in the projects and maybe have them come up with something and maybe you can partner them up with somebody else. You might want to do some class wide stuff where the kids do have to interact and you have some projects like the Everest project would be a great one.
1: Yeah. That really worked for everybody. And they all took a um, bowl.
0: Yeah. And you guys communicated with the
1: people on Everest too, right? Yeah. We followed them and sent them emails and. They sent back dispatches and it was cool. When they could, they were personalized, but most of the time they're generalized. Yeah. You know, hey, world, we're here. But sometimes they're, hey, you guys, we're thinking of you, which was really cool when they did
0: wow. that. Wow. Yeah. 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 That's amazing stuff. Yeah. So, anyway, so I think that will conclude this week's episode.
1: Works for me.
0: Okay. And then next week, we're going to take a look at funding. Oh, everyone's looking for funding. Yeah, everybody's looking for funding. And we're going to take a look at a couple of other things. So until that time, please subscribe, leave us some feedback, give us a review. If you've been here for a while, come on, give it to us. Let us know what your thoughts are, and we will see you again next week. Until then, adios. Aloha.